1890, Edelheid Vetta asked her brother to write some music for a play she had written for her children to perform. He grumbled about it at first, but soon became fascinated with the story and eventually created a full-blown opera. I'm Stuart Holt, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, the fairy tale opera that has delighted children and adults since its inception, Engelbert Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. On December 18th, the holiday production of Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel opens at the Met. While this opera is always a popular choice for families with little ones, there is much more to it than gingerbread houses and delicious treats. The music is irresistible for audiences of all ages, with rich textures and charming melodies tied together with Wagnerian flourishes. In this episode, Guild lecturer Naomi Baratera explores the musical complexities and influences in Humperdinck's fairy tale masterpiece. Many people ask me what my favorite opera is, and for me that is a near impossible question to answer, because I don't have one favorite opera, I actually have a list of my top 10 favorite operas that I fall in love with over and over again, and I can honestly say that I love them all equally, but for very different reasons. And depending on the time of year, or the particular mood I am in, certain operas from my top 10 list bubble to the top and become my favorite of the moment. So my top 10 favorite operas in no particular order are as follows. Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro, Mozart's Die Zauberflöte, Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin, Verdi's Otello, Dvorak's Rusalka, Bartok's Bluebeard's Castle, Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor, Offenbach's Le Conte de Hoffmann, Puccini's La Boheme, and Humperdinck's Hansel und Gretel. And always around the holidays, Humperdinck's Hansel und Gretel, or in English, Hansel and Gretel, rises to the top of my favorites, and I listen to it basically on repeat from about November 1st through the new year. This opera is strongly associated with the winter holiday season, and for good reason. The story is a well-known fairy tale, it features a very large gingerbread house, and it is very common for opera companies to schedule performances of the work around the holiday season. It is a wonderful opera for children, so for many people, seeing this opera over the holidays is part of their family traditions, just like seeing performances of Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker or Handel's Messiah. This year at the Met, it is the family holiday production, so it will be performed in English with a reduced runtime of about two hours and the two main characters, Hansel and Gretel, are children, making it the perfect performance to introduce opera to little ones in your family. But the reason why this opera has a permanent place in my top 10 is not just because it reminds me of the holidays. The score for this opera is absolutely amazing. It is full of some of the most beautiful, delightful, and charming melodies you will ever hear, and a complex structure of recurring, transformative musical themes that tie the whole work together, giving it a Wagnerian complexity without losing the element of sparkle that warms your heart when you listen to it. It is a joy to listen to and watch and experience live in the Opera House, even if you have no idea about all of these complexities in the score, but it is also full of such wonderful hidden musical treasures for those who want to dig a little bit deeper. So in the rest of our time together, we are going to go on a treasure hunt and explore the wonderful hidden depths of this opera. We'll talk a little bit about the composer, the story behind the opera's composition and creation, and then as we go through the plot, we will explore all the musical complexities, recurring motives, external influences, and the memorable moments 
that have charmed opera goers since the day this work made its world premiere. Today, the name Engelbert Humperdinck is really only known, in North America at least, for the success of this opera, Hansel and Gretel. Or, if not for that, the German composer is often confused with the English pop ballad singer Engelbert Humperdinck that topped the charts in the 1960s and 70s. But if you are going to ask anybody in late 19th century German musical circles if they had heard of Engelbert Humperdinck, they probably would have immediately recognized the name, as the composer was very well known in musical circles even before his opera Hansel and Gretel made its world premiere in 1893. Born in 1854, Humperdinck began music lessons at a very young age and was already composing by the age of seven. After being inspired by a performance of Lortzing's opera Undine, another work that we rarely see performed today, he wrote his first musical stage work at the age of 13. Two Zingspiels, one called Perla and the other Claudina von Villa Bella. Even though his family was completely against him pursuing a full-time career in music, he continued serious studies at the Cologne Conservatory, where he won several prestigious music prizes. In 1877, he got a scholarship to study in Munich, where he saw Wagner's Ring Cycle, and was immediately inspired by Wagnerian compositional techniques. Up until this point, he described his own style as being more aligned with Schumann, Mendelssohn, Mozart, and Haydn, but seeing the ring opened up a whole new musical toolbox for him. He was always able to maintain his own compositional voice, a unique style in his works, and he did not become a mindless imitator of Wagner, but his compositional style from this point onward was marked by Wagnerian influence, and would later expand with other influences, such as Richard Strauss and Hugo Wolf. He actually met Wagner on a trip to Naples in 1880, and was invited to work at Bayreuth in 1881 on the world premiere production of Parsifal. Humperdinck accepted the post and worked at Bayreuth for several years. His own composing slowed down during this time, but he soon established himself as a well-respected music critic, teacher and lecturer, working throughout Germany and France and Spain, and it wasn't until the early 1890s that his own compositional creativity began to pick up again with a request from his sister Adelheit. She often wrote plays for her children to perform, and after creating a new script for a family production of the Brothers Grimm fairy tale Hansel und Gretel, she asked Engelbert to set some of the text to music to incorporate it into the play. He obliged her and was soon inspired by the story. By the summer of 1890, he had already worked on a large-scale Zingspiel version of the Hansel and Gretel story, with text entirely by his sister, and Christmas of that year, he gave the Zingspiel in a finished form to his new fiancée, Hedwig, as a Christmas gift. He was then encouraged to turn the Zingspiel into a full-length opera which took a little bit more time because he was still working at numerous musical institutions at the time, but eventually completed the fully orchestrated score in 1892. Hansel und Gretel the opera, with a libretto written in its entirety by his sister Adelheid Wetter, made its world premiere in Weimar on December 23, 1893, conducted by none other than Richard Strauss. The opera was an immediate success with the public and with Humperdinck's fellow composer colleagues. Gustav Mahler brought the opera to Hamburg in 1894, Felix Weingartner conducted the Berlin premiere in October of that year, and in November, a production was mounted in Dessau, Germany, under the direction of Cosima Wagner. In December of 1894, the opera made its Vienna premiere, with Humperdinck and two of his composer friends with him in the audience, Johannes Brahms and Hugo Wolf. After the success of Hansel and Gretel, Humperdinck's composing picked up speed and he began writing a lot of songs for solo voice and piano. His next major operatic success was another fairy tale opera in 1910 called Königskinder. He continued to hold prestigious posts at music conservatories and organizations, and in 1910 he actually came to New York City for the North American premiere of Königskinder, 
which was actually on stage at the same time that Puccini's La Fanciulla del West made its world and met premiere. And even though Fanciulla has a much stronger place in the opera canon today, Königskinder actually had a much more successful initial run. Beginning in 1912, Humperdinck suffered a series of strokes, but continued to compose despite a series of health issues for the last decade of his life. While attending a performance of Karl Maria von Weber's Der Freischutz, which was actually directed by his son, Wolfram, Humperdinck suffered a major heart attack and passed away the following day. In all, Humperdinck's compositional output spans seven operas, or 14 if you include his Zingspiels and different versions of Hansel and Gretel and Königskinder, incidental music for several theatrical projects, most in collaboration with Max Reinhardt, over 30 choral works, over 90 songs, 17 symphonic works, 15 compositions for chamber ensembles, such as string quartets or piano quintets, over 20 works for solo piano, and numerous arrangements and editions of other works. But of all of these works, Hansel and Gretel really is the most well-known piece, with a permanent place in the operatic canon. In 2015-16, which is a few seasons ago, but it is the most recent collated statistics that you can find on operabase.com, Hansel and Gretel is the 13 most often performed opera worldwide, with over 1,600 performances that season. And it is the number one most often performed opera in Germany. So now that we know the story behind its creation, let's go on our musical treasure hunt as we explore the plot of the opera. The prelude or overture is one of my favorite parts of this opera as it introduces the listener to a collection of musical themes that are woven into the fabric of the score throughout the rest of the work. The prelude opens with a beautiful theme in the horns, the opening gesture of which is an ascending major triad set in harmonies of a third. The horn has a warm, gentle timbre to it, and historically speaking, the horn is often associated with the woods in German symphonic music because of its long history as an instrument associated with hunting. As the prelude begins, this is what we hear. As Henry Edward Crable writes, this theme is often connected throughout the opera with the concept of divine guardianship. When Hansel and Gretel sing their evening prayers before falling asleep in the forest much later on, this is the melody that they sing, 
And the opening text translates to, Evenings when I go to sleep, fourteen angels watch do keep. This is why this melody is commonly referred to as the prayer theme. Here it is in Hansel and Gretel's prayer duet in Act 2, Scene 2. As I mentioned, Hansel and Gretel is very Wagnerian in its construction. The whole score is tied together with these musical themes that are introduced in a memorable way and then are subtly integrated and transformed throughout the opera, providing a strong sense of musical cohesion. But Humperdinck's technique of bringing this theme back again and again, with other themes layered in and around and on top of it, is not the only Wagnerian link in this opera. The opening gesture of this prayer theme, that rising major triad set in harmonies of a third, is reminiscent of the opening of Wagner's Ring Cycle. In the Ring Cycle, that major triad is drawn out in the prelude to Wagner's Das Rheingold. So you might not notice it at first, but the connection is definitely there.
And if you listen to the end of the overture, where Humperdinck starts layering the themes that he has introduced all together, there is a grand sweeping quality to the sound that is very similar in its overall effect to later moments in the ring. Now what we just listened to is a culmination of many themes that are first introduced one by one in the overture. So what are these themes that you need to listen for besides the prayer theme? Well, the next one that you hear is very different from the prayer. This theme could be called the breaking of the spell theme as it comes back towards the end of the opera when all the children are released from the spell that the witch has cast. Here is that second theme as it is introduced for the first time in the overture. what it sounds like when it comes back in Act 3, Scene 4, as Hansel waves the witch's magic wand and sings the words that break the spell. The third theme that we hear in the overture sounds like this. also comes back in multiple places throughout the opera. For example, when the Dew Fairy arrives at the beginning of Act Two, awakening Hansel and Gretel from their slumber. Oh, you 
And then again in Act 3, it comes back when Hansel explains to the gingerbread children how they were all saved. associated with moments of either triumph or protection, it is referred to by some scholars as the fulfillment theme, or one could say the answered prayer theme. The fourth and final musical theme introduced in the overture is a theme of rejoicing. It is dance-like and very celebratory. When we first hear it in the overture, this is what it sounds like. This dance-like theme comes back at the end of the opera when Hansel, Gretel, and all the children celebrate being free from the witch's spell. Overture finishes, the curtain opens, and we see Hansel and Gretel in the living room of their modest family home. And we are quickly charmed by a melody that Gretel seems to be singing to herself. And this melody is actually not originally composed by Humperdinck. It is a German folk song, or cradle song, or lullaby, called Süße Liebe Süße, which was later utilized by Martin Luther in a Christmas chorale. Here is a rendition of the original folk song. And here it is, as Gretel first sings it in the opera, in Act 1, Scene 1, as she works on her knitting. Part of the genius behind this opera is not just that Humperdinck quoted well-known folk tunes within the flow of the story, but that he used it as a basis for musical development, spinning out the main musical idea of this simple tune and using it as a musical underpinning for the entire first act. Later in this scene, Gretel tries to teach her brother Hansel to dance. Here, Humperdinck gives us a polka tune 
that sounds like it could also be a folk song, quote, but is actually originally composed. Gretel's mother comes home, and she is furious that the children have completely neglected their chores. As she chastises them, she accidentally knocks over a jug of milk. In a fit of rage, she sends Hansel and Gretel out into the woods to gather berries for supper. After the children leave, their father comes home and is horrified to discover that his wife has sent the children into the woods. He tells her the story about the wicked witch in the woods and the music takes on a really sinister character with plucked strings and a bassoon that is paired in a kind of duet with the father's main melody. There are ascending flourishes in the woodwinds and winding chromatic lines in the strings that add to the frightening atmosphere of the aria. Eine Hex steinalt, aus tief im Wald, vom Teufel selber hat sie gewalt. Mitternacht, wenn niemand wacht, dann reitet sie aus zur Hexennacht. Zu Schornstein hinaus. Auf dem Wiesen und Graus, über Berg und Hof, über Tal und Schluch, durch Nebelhof, im Sturm durch die Luft. Ja, so reiten, ja, so reiten, Juchheiser, die Hexen. Bei Tag hoch raus zum Hexenschmaus im Knisper, Knasper, Knusperhaus. Die Kinderlein am Zügerlein mit Zauberkuchen lockt hinein. Terrified that Hansel and Gretel will be captured by the witch in the woods, the act ends with their father and mother setting out to find them. Act two begins with an instrumental prelude that is often used as a transition between act one and act two. And it draws from the sinister music introduced in the father's aria that we just heard at the end of act one. And it builds towards a dramatic statement of the witch's musical theme. This instrumental prelude is often called the witch's ride, not only because it introduces the witch's theme, but because it really does sound like music that could accompany a witch riding through the sky on a broomstick.
And as you might suspect by this point, the witch's ride theme will come back later in the opera, so hold that melody in your ear as we will return to it. After the epic and frightening music of the witch's ride calms down, Act Two opens in the forest where Hansel and Gretel are gathering berries. Similar to the opening of Act One, Act Two also opens with Gretel once again singing a charming and innocent song, Ein Mainleinstädtenwalde. This is another instance of Humperdinck quoting a well-known tune and integrating it into the fabric of the opera. And this tune was actually not from German folk tradition or from folk songs, but from a popular song composed by a man named August Heinrich Hoffmann von Fallesleben. He is an important figure in the history of German children's literature, and he actually wrote many popular children's songs, and this one dates from 1843. Here is a recording of the popular song from a collection of children's music recordings. Ein Männlein steht im Wald am stillen Wintersturm. Es hat von lauter Bube ein Mädchen gekommen. Sagt, wer darf das Männlein sein? Das da steht im Wald allein mit dem Bube und dem Mädchen. And here it is within the context of the opera as we hear Gretel sing it at the beginning of Act Two. Ein Männlein steht im Walde, ganz still und stumm. Es hat von lauter Puppe ein Männlein um. Sagt, wer mag das Männlein sein, das da steht im Wald allein. Mit dem Puppenroten Männlein. once again distracted from the task given to them, playing in the forest instead of looking for berries. Darkness begins to fall and they are frightened, and the orchestra plays such a wonderful role in this scene, musically depicting all the strange noises that have Hansel and Gretel on edge, as well as innocent animals such as the cuckoo. They grow increasingly frightened as they see something or someone approaching them in the woods. And out comes the Sandman at which point the orchestra creates a magical, calming aura that descends upon the children as the Sandman sings to them. Let's listen to an excerpt of this scene so you can hear how Humperdinck writes for the orchestra as if it is a real character or force within the story. Ich fürchte mich, ich fürchte mich, du bist zu raus, wie sie du willst, du gespenstisch aus. Ihr Küchen drücken dich fest, 
from here, Hansel and Gretel sing their prayers, which we have already heard, before falling asleep. This ends Act 2, and Act 3 begins with another instrumental prelude that, depending on where you plan to take intermission, can be used as a transitional piece of music between the two acts. Usually, it is at this moment that 14 angels gather around the children to keep guard over them as they sleep, just as they asked for in their prayers. As this happens, we hear the theme of fulfillment, or the theme of answered prayers, first introduced in the overture, making a comeback here. comes on stage and wakes the children up in a beautiful aria, again echoing fragments of that fulfillment theme or answered prayer theme, and with a magical violin paired with her as she sings. get their bearings, they find themselves in front of a glorious-looking gingerbread house. They are understandably hungry by this point and begin to nibble at the house. This awakens the wrath of the witch who lives inside, and she sings, Nibbling, nibbling, little mouse, who's nibbling on my house? Hansel and Gretel pause for a moment, but they don't answer and they go back to eating. The witch is angered and comes out and ties Hansel up with a rope. Hansel and Gretel attempt to escape and run away, but the witch casts a spell on them and freezes them in their tracks, rendering them both unable to move. The witch decides that Hansel and Gretel would make a wonderful meal if they only had a little bit more fat on their bones. And so she goes to get raisins and almonds and things to fatten them up, and the children, while she's doing this, scheme together, deciding to do exactly what she says so they can trick her into giving them the upper hand. Gretel agrees to help the witch fatten Hansel up, and the witch begins preparations for her meal. And this is when we get the return of the witch's ride coming back. With Gretel free to move, she sneakily grabs the wand out of the witch's pocket. She repeats the same spell that the witch used on Hansel, and she's able to free him so he can move again, but he pretends to still be under the spell so as not to reveal his freedom to the witch. The witch asks Gretel to check the oven and see if the gingerbread is done. And Gretel says, I don't understand what you mean. I don't know how to do that. What am I supposed to do? The witch comes over in a huff to demonstrate. And as the witch leans into the oven, Hansel and Gretel push her in. The oven explodes with the witch inside, and suddenly all the children that the witch had previously turned into gingerbread become human again. But it is as if they too are kind of frozen in place. 
They asked Hansel and Gretel to touch them and to free them completely. Hansel and Gretel walk among the children, touching each of them and waving the witch's wand to release them from the spell. And here we get the second theme from the overture returning as the children are finally freed. with Hansel and Gretel's parents finding the children in the witch's house along with all the other freed children and the witch turned into gingerbread in the oven. They are happily reunited and the prayer theme that opened the opera returns in a triumphant finale as everybody sings, when need is greatest, God is nearest. As we listen to the final moments of the opera, I will end today's exploration of this work with a quote from writer George Hall. He says, It's sometimes asked whether Hansel and Gretel is really an opera for children or an opera for adults. The answer, of course, is that it's for both. Children will enjoy its straightforward songs and singing games, its rampaging comic grotesque witch with her monstrous eating habits, its supernatural apparitions, culminating in the dream sequence which, in traditional productions, features 14 angels who descend a staircase to watch the children as they sleep in the nocturnal forest. But then the child in us all will also enjoy these things. In addition, adults will probably relish Humperdinck's rich orchestration and subtle harmony, his consistently strong melodic invention, his masterly counterpoint, his amazing variety of mood and texture, veering from near-Wagnerian complexity to a Johann Strauss-like exuberance and danciness. But then children, even if they've never heard of Wagner or Counterpoint, will at least unconsciously register these pleasurably too. It's an opera for everybody.
That was Naomi Baratera discussing Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel. Holiday performances begin at the Met on December 18th and run through January 6th. If you enjoyed this podcast and you live in the New York City area, we invite you to join us for Naomi's continuing opera education course here at Lincoln Center, all about librettists and librettos. Class begins on January 23rd. For more information, see metguild.org lectures. This is our last episode of 2017, and we look forward to being back with you in January 2018 for more operatic explorations. I'm Stuart Holt. Thank you for listening, and have a safe and happy holiday.